great things he has done. For those who may be new with us, my name is Brandon Reddick, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead servant here at the Bridge Church, where we exist to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in the multi-ethnic context. It is indeed our pleasure, our privilege, and our honor to have each and every one of you with us on this Lord's Day, both those of you who have joined us in person and all of you who are with us via live stream. Let us turn now to Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one. While you are turning there or swiping there, I want to remind all of us here at the Bridge Church that yesterday you should have received an email from Emily, our director of operations, reminding you that in this season we want to be a blessing to our missionaries, and so we're asking you to write a short note of encouragement. So if you don't check your email, check your email. If you do check your email, this is one of those emails we need you to reply to. So just please send a note of encouragement. We also would remind you that we are still taking donations so that we can bless our missionaries during this Christmas season. And so you can go online and give at thebridgewichita.com slash give and there's a missions fund for you to designate those funds to our missionaries. Matthew chapter 1 beginning with verse number 18. Let us stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. Amen. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth 
to a son and called his name Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. If a man came claiming to be king, the public would ask him, what proof do you have that you are the rightful king? What are your qualifications? What is your pedigree to be king? And these questions are what leads Matthew to write Matthew chapter number one. He writes Matthew chapter one, the first part, to let us know that Jesus comes through the right bloodline to be king. This week, He's going to go back and explain what he said in verse 16 last week. If you remember, in verse number 16, as he was giving us the genealogy of Jesus, he said that Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. If you remember from last week, as we read the genealogy, it would always say that person X fathered person Y. And it would continue to go, and it always would lead to someone was fathered by someone. But when we get to verse 16, Matthew disrupts his, his, his normal way of sharing the line of Christ. He goes to Mary and says, that's whom Jesus was born to. And as we said last week, it's highly unusual for women to be included in a Jewish genealogy. And so now Matthew sets out to show us and to tell us that Jesus has the credentials to be the king, even though he was born of Mary. Look with me now at Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. This story opens up with a problem. A problem. What's the problem? The text says in verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Let's say a word about betrothal. Betrothal was not like modern-day engagement. The betrothal was a binding, formal, prenuptial agreement entered into before witnesses. This relationship could only be dissolved by way of divorce. During the betrothal period, the woman remained with her parents for a year as would the man. During this period of time, this one-year period, there would be no physical intimacy. After that year was up, 
There would be a formal ceremony where the men would take his bride in front of witnesses from his parents' home and walk her to his home. Only at that time would they consummate the marriage. Thus, when this text says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph and it was before they came together, we encounter the problem. Mary is pregnant during the period of time when she was to have no physical intimacy with the man. And since Joseph is a righteous man, he would not have impregnated Mary during the time of betrothal. Thus, one is left to assume that Mary has been unfaithful to Joseph. This is the conclusion Joseph himself arrives at because the text says that Joseph resolved to divorce her quietly. And so the first problem we encounter in our text is a pregnancy crisis. Mary at this time would have been somewhere between the ages of 12 to 14. And she is a teenager that is pregnant. But there's another problem in our text. Not only is there a pregnancy crisis, but there's also a paternity crisis. Remember, we learn in verse 16 that it was Mary of whom Jesus was born. And Jesus in verse 16 is said to be the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. If Mary is the mother of Jesus and she's pregnant during this betrothal period, then one has to wonder, is this supposed Messiah an illegitimate child born out of wedlock? Is this Jesus the supposed king has he come into the world by way of an adulterer? And if these were the circumstances, then can this Jesus truly be the Messiah? Can this Jesus really be the king? It's a paternity crisis. Remember, when we go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says that this is the beginning of Jesus Christ, the son of David. That him being a son, a descendant of David is crucial because remember we, were, we studied the Davidic covenant last week and the Davidic covenant said that there would always be a son of David on the throne. But that legal line came by way of the father. Joseph, if Joseph is not the father, then Jesus is not a legal son of David. We have a paternity crisis. That's the problem. Let's look secondly now at the prophetic announcement in verses 20 and 21. God intervenes by way of an angel beginning in verse 20. The angel says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In this verse, we learn about the person of Jesus. 
by way of the virgin birth. The angel makes it clear to Joseph that Mary has not stepped out on you, Joseph. Mary has not committed adultery, Joseph. The baby that is in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is a miraculous conception. And the angel makes it clear to Joseph that she's still a virgin. Beloved, as we look at the virgin birth, we learn something about the person of Jesus. First, we learn that he's the son of man because he came from Mary, a woman. But we also learn that he's the son of God because what is in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. He's both man and God. He's the God-man. Why, why then, preacher, does this virgin birth matter? Beloved, I submit to you that if the virgin birth is false, then all of Christianity falls apart. If Jesus had a human father, then he would be a man like you and I and would have a sin nature. Thus, he would not be qualified to die for our sins. He would be a sinner just like you and me. If the virgin birth is false, then Jesus is not God. And if Jesus is not God, then he still would not be qualified to be our savior because he wouldn't be that spotless lamb without blemish. Beloved, the virgin birth is critical to the Christian faith. Without it, it all falls apart. If Jesus is not virgin born, then Jesus is not God and the Bible is a lie. The virgin birth matters because it affects our salvation. No virgin birth, no salvation, and we're all on our way to hell. But let me give you a little something for free. The virgin birth that also reminds us that with God, nothing is impossible. It's not hard to believe the virgin birth if you believe the Bible because we serve a God who created the entire universe. He hung the sun, the moon, and the stars. He created man out of nothing. He, he blew into him breath. And that's the God we serve. We serve a God who can make the sun stand still. We, make, we serve a God who, who can part red seas. The virgin birth is not hard to believe if you believe in God. The virgin birth reminds us that with, with God, nothing is impossible. We used to sing a song in the church I grew up in that said, have you any rivers that seem uncrossable? Have you any mountains that seem that you can't tunnel through? Here's the good news. God specializes. I'm on my way in things that seem impossible and he will do what no other power but Holy Ghost power can do. Somebody here on this live stream needs to know that with God, nothing is impossible. He specializes in things that seem impossible. The end of this pandemic, God's got that. Cancer, God's got that. Nothing is impossible. Family drama, God can handle that. Wayward children, he can bring them back. Nothing is impossible with our God. 
We see the person of Jesus, but, but then in this prophecy, we also learn about the purpose of Jesus. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Beloved, this is why the birth of Christ matters. Jesus has been sent from heaven to earth on a rescue mission. And his mission is to save his people from their sins. He was born to die. That's the Jesus we celebrate and worship during this Advent season. We, we celebrate the man who is our Savior. If I had you in here, I'd say, say Savior. Thank you. Ooh. Yes, sir. He, he delivers us, saves us from the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. He delivers us from the power of sin. Why does that matter? Because that means that we don't have to yield to temptation. Jesus has delivered us from the slavery of sin, and we have been set free to obey God rather than our flesh. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit just dropped this in my spirit. He says, because we have been delivered from the power of sin, that means you can no longer use the excuse, the devil made me do it. We've been delivered from the power of sin. He's not only our Savior, oh, thank you, Holy Ghost, but he's also our substitute. The text says he will save his people from their sins. And he did that by taking our punishment on himself. This Jesus will die on a cross that was reserved for each sinner. See, see, the reason we ought to be grateful for Jesus as our substitute is because we need to realize that there was a cross just for you. There was a cross reserved for every sinner, but Jesus took our place on the cross. He became our substitute and our representative. It was in our place. Condemned he stood. Beloved, what a wonderful Savior. That's why that name matters, that name Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Grandma back in the old black Baptist church, she would say, the more I call him, the better I feel. Somebody at home right now just needs to call on the name of Jesus. Just call his name Jesus. 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 I already feel better. Jesus in the morning. Jesus in the noontime. Jesus in the evening. Jesus when I can't sleep. Jesus when the bank account is low. Jesus, when I'm feeling anxious and depressed, Jesus, 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 there is power in the name of Jesus. We got to get out of here. Look with me now at the promise fulfilled in verses 22 and 23. Matthew tells us that all of this happened in order to fulfill the scripture. In Isaiah 7, which says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. There it is, which means God with us. 
I want you to take notice of this church. As we, as we go through the book of Matthew, I want you to take notice of this theme of fulfillment. We're going to see this time and time again as we study the book of Matthew. Why does this Matthew, why does this matter? Remember, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. He wants them to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Thus, they shouldn't be surprised by who he is and what he does. This fulfillment theme is also going to confirm what Jesus says later on when he says, I came not to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. This is the beginning of Christ's fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Jesus fulfills Isaiah 7:14. He is the son of a virgin. He is the one to be called Emmanuel. That's the title he will be given. So Matthew actually presents his readers with something new. The Jews had all kinds of experiences expectations concerning their Messiah. However, they had no expectation of him to be God. So, now, Matthew, what Matthew is showing us that Jesus is an unexpected Savior. He was virgin born, and he was God as well. As we said earlier, because Jesus is God, he can save his people from their sins. Furthermore, because Jesus is God, he is God with us. And what comfort this should bring the people of God who had not heard from God in 400 years. For 400 years, they have been given the silent treatment. Furthermore, they are scattered and in exile. Yet God sends Jesus to remind his people, I haven't left you. I haven't forgotten about you. I haven't abandoned you. I am with you. Emmanuel, he is God with us. And beloved, that's the truth we need in the midst of of a pandemic, with all the sickness, death, unemployment, uncertainty, depression, and anxiety, what the people of God need to know is that God is with us. Beloved, that'll put some wind in your sails. He hasn't forsaken us. He is with us. And because he is with us, we don't have to fear in this pandemic. We don't have to be afraid because he's with with us, we can make it. God is with us. Let's wrap up finally with the pattern to follow. The pattern to follow in verses 24 and 25. The narrative comes to a resolution by telling us in verse 24 that Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Beloved, let me read that again. Joseph did 
as the angel of the Lord commanded him. For those who got distracted, let me say it, read it one more time. Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Joseph, beloved, is an example of immediate and radical obedience. He obeys the word of the Lord in its entirety. You got to think about how radical this is. Joseph obeys the Lord knowing that his reputation will take a hit. Think about this. Most people will not believe the story from Mary that she was, is pregnant from the Holy Spirit. That's hard to believe. We've never seen this before. What's logical and what makes the most sense is that Mary cheated on Joseph. And Joseph is obligated, according to the law, to divorce her. But yet, he does not. So what will people think about Joseph? They will think, the text says, Joseph being a righteous man or a just man, essentially what that means is Joseph was a law-abiding man. And now they're not going to think that anymore. He's not a law-abiding man. He married an adulterer. Yet Joseph cares more about what God thinks of him than what the world thinks of him. Beloved, that's a pattern to follow. We need to be men and women of God of radical obedience, even when it's not popular, even when our reputation will be ruined, even when rumors will swear, we will swirl. We need to be people of radical obedience. We must remember, people of God, that pleasing God is always more important than pleasing man. And watch this. Joseph does not let the fear of man stop him from obeying God. Somebody needs to hear that this morning because God has called you or told you or sent you to do something for his kingdom, but yet you are stagnant and disobedient because you fear what man will say, what man will think, what man will do. And Joseph teaches us, don't fear man, fear God. Obey him. Following Jesus, beloved, requires radical obedience. Jesus said it this way. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. How then do we respond to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25? We should respond, first of all, by receiving the king. Receive the king. A recurring theme in Matthew is going to be those who receive Jesus and those who reject Jesus. Those who receive him believe that he is God and that he is the savior of the world. And so they leave all in order to follow him. That's what it looks like to receive the king. It is to, be, uh, 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 to give our allegiance to him and him alone. But there will be others who won't receive the king. They will reject the king. 
And some of the very ones that will reject the king will be the most religious. Pharisees, Sadducees, those who, who are legalistic, they do the right thing, but they don't know grace. They don't believe Jesus is the Savior. So, my question to you, have you received this king? Those who receive him believe in him, that he is the son of God who came into the world to die for the sin of the world. He was buried but rose on the third day with all power in his hands. Will you receive him this morning? By trusting in him alone, not trusting in being a good person, not trusting in the fact that your parents were Christian, not trusting in doing good works, but trusting in Christ alone. Receive the king. And we have this promise as we receive the king that we have eternal life. We have this promise that every sin, past, present, and future will be forgiven. God will cancel our debt. We receive this king. Not only should we receive the king, but we must also, Joseph teaches us, that we must also obey the king. I remember I, my son, if he was here, when he went to school back in Texas, he, early his elementary years, he went to this charter school, and one of their rules was immediate obedience. Not delayed obedience. My other child, the, the three-year-old one, Lily, mm -hmm, she's struggling with this concept of immediate obedience. This child has a will like no other. And it's Lily's will. And she's going to do what she wants to do when she wants to do it, how she wants to do it. And she's not going to do what she wants to do. And so we're going to have to break that will <laughs> because we expect immediate obedience. And we learn that from our own parent, God our Father. We pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is his will done in heaven? Immediately. And beloved, we need to stop being people of delayed obedience. Obey the king immediately, but obey him radically as well. Joseph, I want you to go and marry this woman. By the way, she's pregnated from the Holy Spirit. Where did they do that at? And Joseph says he obeys. But you know what really causes Joseph to obey? There's something that precedes Christian obedience. Faith. Obedience is the outworking of our faith. Joseph received a word from the Lord. He received a revelation and he believed the word of the Lord and his belief led him to obey. And so if belief leads to obedience, then maybe the root cause of disbelief is, or the root cause of disobedience is unbelief. We obey the king. But friends, finally, and we'll touch on this more next week, so I won't have much to say about this one, but we also should be in awe 
of this king. I, I like that. Thank you, babe, for what you said earlier. Oh, come let us adore him. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who, who, who else is both God and man? 100% God, 100% man. He was born like no other. He died like no other. Who we ought to be in awe of King Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the word that's been revealed to us. We acknowledge Jesus to be King of kings and Lord of lords. God, we confess that we haven't been radically obedient to this king. And so we pray that you would have mercy upon us, O oh Lord. Forgive us for our disobedience, for our unfaithfulness. God, now we receive Jesus as king, not just for the sake of salvation, but every day. We receive him as king, and so we will obey him. We will worship him. We will love him. We will obey him. And we will spread his message to the end of the earth. And Father, how thankful we are that you are always with us. God, somebody right now is struggling with loneliness during this pandemic. God, remind us in these times that you are with us. Overwhelm us with your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.